Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Loose Head Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ali Muldowney on the phone. Ali, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm just enjoying some family time in the lockdown. How's life in Bristol been over the last couple of months? Yeah, it's been good. It's been quiet. Um, Pat's like, been on top of things with the team. There's lots of social calls. And um, just, enjoy, yeah, just enjoying spending some time with the family. It's been really nice. In terms of training, I was talking to a couple of players and they were talking about the training they're doing at home. But is it just as important to kind of keep in touch with the other players socially as it is to kind of be training at home at the same time? Yeah, um, like there's been a big emphasis on that. It's um, uh, Bristol, like there's been little WhatsApp groups or smaller groups um, to stay in touch, to make sure everyone's okay uh, mentally. There's, um, and then we have twice a week. We have like um, an online meeting with everyone, where everyone just says uh, like what what they've been up to. So yeah, it's just good to stay connected with people. I know you were injured during the the season, and that um you had problems with concussion. But I guess in terms of finishing your time with Bristol, this lockdown probably didn't come at an ideal time for you. No, it didn't. But at the same time, I had had um, like said with a concussion, I had problems with my um, left eye, so I wouldn't probably been able to play again this year. They were saying it probably would have been July time um, for the safety reasons. So it's all fine now, but um, obviously my contract's up, and then um, I'll be back in my new job up home um, in the Midlands. So yeah, so it would have been done for me anyway, really. You'll be starting a new job, but you'll also be a player coach as well uh, for Stafford Rugby Club. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I am. Um, I thought I was going to be down there a lot anyway. I always said like I'd never go back there and play that level again. But um, I've got quite a lot of mates, good mates that are coaching, chairman, like the running the club. A few mates still playing. So I just thought, well, I might as well if I'm going to be down there. Like the way I am, pers- my personality, I couldn't just probably just sit back and watch it without poking my nose in. So I thought I might as well just jump in. Are you going to have a lot of second rows just throwing passes and standing in at first receiver? No, just me. Just you? Just me, just me. Don't want to pass that on. No. Uh, hopefully, like, yeah, we can um, improve the skills of the whole squad, which should be a main, like, one of the main focuses. It's, you know, they're, they're a good local team. They just need a bit of organisation, which is what they've been, like, asking me to help them with more than anything. I wanted to talk to you today about your career I know you got signed for Glasgow and Exeter, but how did that move to Connacht come about? Well, it kind of came out of like, left field, to be honest. Um, I'd been offered a contract early doors by Exeter, and then um, it wasn't what I wanted. I, like, I wasn't making a ridiculous like um, request for what I wanted. And so we put that on hold, and then they came back to me at Christmas time and said, oh, here's that contract you wanted. But at that, this stage... There was quite a few other rugby clubs um, making offers, so I said, "Oh well, now like the like now the demand's up." And then I think because obviously uh, I was Irish qualified, because um, father's um, Irish, um, Connick were interested. Obviously, they were getting some more funding. Obviously, bringing uh, Patty and bringing Craig Clark, and and then obviously they're looking for myself as well. And the, their offer like was blowing extras out the uh, the window, so I was just like. Well, I think I should move, and then I didn't want to leave Exeter for another Premiership club. I didn't see the point because um, Exeter was such a good club, and I did enjoy myself there. And the coaching was exceptional, so I just thought, spoke to my wife and Sam, and we just thought we're going to move. Let's um, move, move. Let's do it properly. So that's when like 
we decided to go to um, to Connacht. When you first walked through the doors of the sports ground, did you feel that something special was going to happen? No. Like when I first got to Connacht, I was they put me into the Connacht Hotel. That then I was like I had no contact from anyone else, and then so I kind of like to go down to the sports ground on my own to show myself around, and then. And then I got an email saying, oh, there's no kit. So and I didn't bring any kit with me because I was just like, the only sports kit I had was um, like Exeter Chiefs or Glasgow Warriors, which I used to give to my mates at the end of the season. So I was like, so I had to then go to the sports shop and buy a load of like just some normal T-shirts and shorts to training for the first few weeks. And I was just like, and then I didn't get paid for the first three months. And I was just like, what the hell have I signed up for here? That, that all happened in your first three months of signing up? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah, uh, I just honestly, I just didn't believe what was going on. I was like, "What the hell is going on at this place?" A lot of people look back at it and just look at the 2016 season when you lifted the trophy. I don't think if you told any of them that three years before that, that one of the kind of, I suppose, central players in that team had to go buy their own gear and didn't get paid for three months. I don't think they'd believe me if I told them that. Yeah, so I don't know whether that's testament to like the changes. Um that like Pat helped bring in and the, the cultural changes, but like yeah, it, it was it was a bit of an eye opener. I like, come from Exeter Chiefs, who like they were so switched on and really professional. You can see that the way that they've gone on, and then coming into that, I was like, oh god. And I was like, at least I was thinking, oh, at least the money's good. And then realizing I wasn't getting paid, I was like, oh dear. So over those three seasons, you must have seen the place grow something incredible. Yeah, like you said, and then it just the first year I think was a struggle. For everyone, I think everyone struggled at some stage throughout the season. I think we were struggling with our identity, how we wanted to play. And I think it was, you know, um, finding out everyone's strengths and weaknesses. And I think one of the things Pat noticeably made a difference in his second year was he wanted us so fit in first year that we all lost so much weight that we weren't as effective in the, the physical aspects of the game. Like in our carrying and our tackles, we weren't as good as what we all had been individually and then so the second year like um sort of pre-season was probably one of my favorites because we hardly did any running it was just all weights because he wanted us as he wanted us fit obviously but he wanted us to be big and strong as well that first season you only started i think nine games in the league for connacht it must have been mentally tough to deal with yeah it was um he just and because i was on good money there like i I was just desperate to try and prove myself because um, I bet they bet they were thinking at some stage as well, like, oh, my God, what are we wasting our money on here? So, like, I was desperate to get out there to be more consistent for them. Because I remember it was around about just after Christmas, um, I went in to see Pat and said, so, like, I'd, like, I want to be given more of a team run. I, I You know, I want to be able to prove my worth. And then fair play to him, he um, backed me and started, like, playing me. And then, you know, things were better. So maybe at the beginning, maybe I wasn't showing enough consistency. And I think maybe me going in and speaking to him about it, maybe he needed that proof. I was like, listen, I'm really willing to prove myself. Was it difficult to transition your game into being more of a receiver and distributor at second row? Well, um, I had to change quite a lot the way I played. Um, like Mosley, just a one-out carrier. Um, at Glasgow, carrying, but like Glasgow, Sean O'Neill would have us passing quite a lot. So I was used to like, um, 
passing quite a lot. I remember getting sort of sick after the boys because I'd make more passes and carries. And I was like, well, this is what the coach wants us. He wants us to move the ball. And then going to Exeter where, you know, we would pass, but like we'd like to keep the ball so much. Like I just enjoyed carrying, so I'd carry so much for them. And then, yeah, so like there was a lot of adjusting. But coming from a basketball background, I was, I was always comfortable with um, like passing. Obviously, not to the level it was in 2016. It took a lot of work, like to you know to get the best. But like I was always comfortable on the ball. In the 2016 final, you passed the ball a lot. But did you still have that freedom to look up, play what was in front of you, regardless of what call was called by the ten or by the nine or whatever? Yeah, we um, we were given the freedom to whatever we wanted. He didn't want us kicking the ball. You can see, like in the finals, the one where. I mean, AJ passes it to me and I end up on my knees, but we still play out the back and we still get gain line. Um, the, for, for, for playing what was on, it was I would be there as well and Bundy would be behind me all the time talking. So he would be telling me, like, if it, if it was on, and the biggest thing we had was trust among each other. So if he said he wanted the ball, it meant it was on. And if it wasn't on, he would say carry. Or, like, if I would see sometimes it was... It, it was on more to carry than like we had that we had the um, the option to do what we thought was best, but we always trusted each other. So if someone called for it, you better expect the ball because it's going to come to you. And would I be correct in saying that when you played in your twenty-two, like the team had a call to crossfield kick it? Yeah, we we had um, we had options to do every, to do a lot of things, um, and it was always about to get to width. We always wanted to get to the five meter channels to stretch the team out. And then cause basically what that gave was, you know, you stretch your team out and then you give, you know, you had the power of Bundy and one-on-one and all of a sudden he makes a line break and you had the speed of, you know, the speed of our back three, Matt Healy, Tierney and then Easy. Like you're giving them one-on-ones in space. All of a sudden, you know, the tries were coming and you can see all the tries that we scored was um, in the finals and spreading them out and giving them boys one-on-ones. What was it like initially in the meetings when the coaches said, look, we're in our 22, we're just going to cross-field kick it. Was there any negativity towards that or was there anybody sitting there thinking, Jesus, this is this is risky stuff? Yeah, there's a few eyebrows. I mean, I, I was rested for the um, semi-final, the quarter-final against um, Grenoble. Uh, and uh, Shane Lou played and we had a, a set play from five minutes from our own line to cross-field kick. And um, it went straight out on touch and I think they scored from it. And then, but still then Pat was like, no, like the option's good, it's just the execution. If we got that right, we were away. So like if it happens again, I want the same call. So we all had confidence um in each other and the coaching staff to have a go. It must be great to have that coach that says, No, no, a cross field kick on your own five meter line, that's the right call. It might it must give you an awful lot of confidence in your playing. Yeah, it does. Um like we trained like a lot of scenario, every scenario as well. So like we're always prepared and like we would repeat in those systems all the time. So we're all so comfortable and relaxed about it when it comes to game time. I mean, you know what it's like down in um, Galway anyway. Um, if you range the wind, you, you can't kick the ball anyway. So you have to get used to playing with, like, keeping the ball for long periods in, in year 22 anyway. So it was just, we had a system to get us into shape. It was like, it was really good. You, as a team, didn't lose many players to the international window. How important was that? Well, uh, obviously, yeah, it's very important to um, to have a consistent team. Um, so, yeah, it does help. And a lot of people said, oh, like, making excuses, oh, yeah, you won because it's a World Cup year. But 
at the end of the season, like we were playing a fully strength monster team, um, beating them comfortably. Um, fully strength um, Lancer team beat them at home, um, beat them in the final, and then doing a double on Glasgow was the big one, like because I think they were the form team and probably the best team in the league, and then to do the double on them two weeks in a row was huge for us. How tough physically were those games to be played one after another? Those Glasgow games were probably some of the toughest games I've ever played in. Like they were great teams, uh, some uh, like fantastic players, and like they they really put us under pressure, and they were really difficult. So that just gave us massive confidence going into the final. And that final with Leinster, it was a very very quick start by you guys. Like were you puffing? Yeah, it was, I think like for us, it, it hit at home when when we arrived, the support and during the fields of us and Rye, um, as we were coming in, was unbelievable. Sorry, my dog's just running in. Um, was uh, unbelievable. I remember me and Maul just looking at each other, just like, just unbelievable. Like, like the support there was phenomenal. It just felt like a home game on steroids. It was ridiculous. And throughout that year, was there any point in the season where you stopped and said, hang on a second, we're in to win this? Yeah, I think from the start, um, we were saying that uh, we wanted to win the league. Um, we were there to win it. Like We weren't publicly coming out and saying it, but we were having meetings. I remember mid-season, we went, oh, I can't remember where we went. Um, we went away for like a little camp. So Pat wanted to reevaluate where we are and our targets going. And we said in this meeting that we want to win the league. So we knew that was the end goal and we knew it was at Murray Field. Great pitch. So, like, we're like, yeah, we want to get there. We need to get there. In January of that season, though, you found out that there would be no contract for you the next year. So, you kind of went from someone who played a massive central part to being told, look, yeah, you're going to have to look somewhere else for next season. How difficult was that at time? It was extremely difficult. Um, me and my family loved Galway and we wanted to stay there. And then my boys were so settled, um, my wife loved it, and then like it, was, it felt like really guilty coming home and saying, listen, we're going to have to move, like they don't want me, so like I was really upset for them, they were gutted, and I, I felt horrendous, like I felt like I was being a bad father, a bad husband, that they, I was moving them around, they finally found a place that they were so happy, and then I was having to tell them, I'm going to have to pack up and move, because, you know, work don't want me anymore. But as a professional as well, to be probably in the form of your life, to be told you're surplus to requirements for the next year, that must have disillusioned you a little bit as well. Yeah, it's really tough mentally, but I kind of took it one or two ways. I can just forget about it and um, just like not care. Or, but also as well, like I was then then you just like well, you know, we're possibly doing something special here. So I've got two ways of wanting to leave. I can just take my money and take it easy, like save my legs, um, save my body, save, save the risk of injury and not do a lot for the next six months. Or we can do something special. And I love the place too much to do that. So it was like, well, it is what it is. Um, you know, you, you know, sometimes you just got to play with the cards that you've been dealt and make the most of it. Do you think contract time for players is, a t well, it obviously is a tough time, but do you think something could be done by the powers that be to make it an easier time for players. Yeah, I mean, but sometimes you got to forget it's business as well. It's not just rugby. It's not just, especially like in Ireland where you have to have so many Irish qualified players and the non-EQP. Sorry, that's English. Um, 
like the the foreign players' spots. It's, it's difficult for clubs as well. You know, they've got a budget. They've got to do what um, they think's best. It, it's business is business at the end of the day, and it is what it is. Tell the listeners how good were the celebrations? Who's still at it? How mental was Galway for those couple of weeks? It was unbelievable. Like that next week after was utterly ridiculous. Like everywhere we went in Galway, like I. I think the guys are sh- shining on us as well because it was one of the best weeks ever ever in Galway as well. Everywhere we went, like people were buying us drinks, like loads of drinks, and well, the bar we were in, they were giving us free stuff, trying to get us to stay, and got invited to so much stuff. And um, Khan especially like looked after us ridiculously well. Um, I think we drank Connect there so much without spending a penny all week. It was just unbelievable the, the support we had, and then it was a it was a tough going. I'd keep on going like every day, but um, we definitely made the most of the celebrations. The homecoming at the, um, at the stadium, at the sports ground, and the was still like because we were we weren't expecting anything like that many people because there were so many people in. Um, in Edinburgh, and we knew that people couldn't get back because obviously we only had a week's notice. The, mar- the I think the, the marathon was on there that weekend, so my cousins from Kildare they came. They had to like drive there and drive up to um, somewhere in Northern Ireland, get the ferry across, and then drive across Scotland. Like people were doing everything they come to get there. We're just like they're all stuck there still, so there probably won't be that many people there. And then to see the thousands and thousands of people that are still coming out to support was it was unbelievable. Of all the teams you've played with, would you count Connacht as your favourite? Yes, definitely. Like, because um, it wasn't just like the club as well; it was the place. Like living there is is just such a special place. You're going to get a lot of fans now for that comment, I think. Oh, I hope so. Uh, Bernard Jackman got in touch with you during that last season with Connacht, and you headed to France. Your first season there was in the top fourteen. Your second was in the D two. What was the biggest difference in terms of playing style, lifestyle, coaching during those two years? Well, my first year at um, Granada, obviously, when Virtue was there, Mike Pendergast, Aaron Dundon, so, and then we had Chris Fowle and Dennis Coulson there, so, like, it was really good to have those connections and um, the, the Irish contingency there. Um, it was really good. It was very professional the first year. The second year, not so much so after Virtue left, Mike and Aaron. Um, really enjoyed the lifestyle was probably the biggest challenge. It's it's um it's just completely different, a completely different culture. I mean, in the summer it'd be so hot that you'd have to be so we'd like be up at five, um, leaving at half five and have six o'clock because we'd have to be done by twelve because it'd be too hot in the afternoon. So like you realise in the afternoon like it's one o'clock you're back home and you just sunbathing by your swimming pool with a gin and tonic and you just like it's just crazy. That's a big difference to, I don't know, lying out the back and knocking a carrot. Yeah, completely different. Like, you might get the odd few days of nice weather and then uh, go away. But, like, yeah, to have every day. And then and then the winter, obviously, be completely freezing. But then, like, you go off to all the ski resorts. And so it's good. And I enjoyed it um, first year, not in the second year as much. Um, obviously, things were going downhill a bit for the club. And money was tight, so, like, you do like eight, nine hour traveling up to 12 hours on the bus day before a game and then travel, say you're playing for a Friday night, you travel back overnight that night and it was just, just horrendous. Would playing in the Pro D2, would that 
almost make you fall out of love with the game because it's so tough to do? It was more, I was falling out of love with the game. It was probably more to do with this, the setup and the culture at the club and the coaches. Um, we see eye to eye with them. Um, so, like, yeah, you do a little bit. And then, luckily, but I'd been speaking to Pat constantly over my time there anyway. Um, he tried to get me to come to Bristol the year before, which I would have done, but I'd already agreed with Birchie and I didn't want uh, to stay on my second year. And I didn't want to go back on my word of him. I did try and get a clause on my contract though that if Birchie left, I could leave, but they wouldn't let me. And then, and then like Pat was obviously still speaking to me and he was just like, oh, now they've been relegated to the championship. Like their budget's been hit. So they couldn't take, like, because, um, he says it was just about the possibility of leaving because we'd been relegated and then he was just like oh, I'll, I'll come and get you next year and I just thought oh that'll be that'll be done now like that's it and then to fair next year he just came straight away and was just like ran me up one day and then literally that afternoon had a contract offer and then signed off that day so moving to Bristol you go back but suddenly John Muldoon goes from teammate to your coach was that strange in returns of your relationship? No, not really. I mean, you know what the strange thing was? Because it'd still be kind of the same, like, um, until, like, you realise you're training and he's not training. But um, I, I had a bad neck injury, on, like, before the season started. So, like, I was injured a lot with my neck and obviously very limited to what I could do. So, like, I'd be sitting around a lot with Mull and then I'd always be the next from a meeting, so... I uh, used to get a lot of stick from that. So then I, when I was back playing, I was like, until we stick to sit next to Mort. So I was like, right, I'd go to the opposite. And then, so I just could sit on the opposite side of the room to him. In terms of being coached by Pat Lamb again, that must have excited you an awful lot after, let's say, the disappointment of Jackman leaving Grenoble and having to play a season without him. Yeah, it was. But um, also, like, I was like, oh, and you know how serious Pat is and how hard he works you. Like, it was quite um, cushy in France. So, like, I had another year left of my contract, and then obviously I asked to leave to go and join him. So, I was like, I could have just seen my contract out here, earned more money, and, um, you know, just enjoyed the lifestyle. But, like, I wanted to, like, come and play. So, like, yeah, it was, like, exciting at the same time. I was like, oh, like, this is going to be so hard work. In 2015 <laughs> for Connacht, you were voted the team man of the year. Do you think that that sums you up as a player? I think that depends on who you speak to. Um, I, I don't know. It's just I, I was doing a lot outside, obviously, with Ability West and the charity based in Galway, which has um, been a real positive for me, seeing the work that they do is um, redirected how I wanted to see my life. Um, so that's when I like, uh, got a job with Cold, Cold World Children, which um, runs along the same line, um, working with children with autism and um, other challenges, helping fulfil their potentials. So kind of like I could have gone down the rugby route could have been earning a lot more money than I'm going to be earning, but I, it, it uh, made a difference to me and uh, how I wanted to um, take my life into the next step. Well, listen, I just have a few listener questions, if you're okay with that to finish okay. up. Yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah. Uh, the first one that came in, do you feel you should have been capped, especially during that 2016 season for Connacht? Yeah, but international rugby as well, they've got to be thinking years ahead. You know, the next... It's not just about like the, the internationals or the autumn internationals or the Six Nations. They've got to be thinking cycle of World Cups. So like I was never really gonna play in that. So maybe if I was younger, then yes. But at the age I was, I like, I wasn't expecting it at all. 
What advice would you have for any young players coming through, especially back five players? If there's anything, like, obviously, going off subject, but, like, been watching The Last Dance, and, like, I've been saying for years, because Michael Jordan's been my hero since I was a kid, like, because I was massive into basketball when I was younger. And you watch that, and you just, you know, and then you see people like him and Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen, and you see how different they all are. And I think it's just about being yourself. Like, don't change who you are or try and mould yourself around it. Just be yourself and, like, you'll find someone and some team that will want you for who you are and the way the way that you play. So just do what naturally comes to you. Be yourself. Who is the best teammate you've ever had? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think who was the best at giving me lifts. Tom McCartney was good because he'd always pick me up from my house. So that was always, I like Tom. I'll say Tom because he was the best at giving me lifts. It's an, it's an easy way to your heart, Ali, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and finally, what's the best advice you were ever given in regards rugby? Um, probably when I was playing for Stafford, like obviously a big part of my game as well was the lineups, and not just like ball playing. Like because um, we had one of the best lineups in the league, it was uh, which. Uh, you know, I've really prided myself on. I just got taught at Stafford about like lineouts is you can be as pretty as you want, but you got to learn to go get the ball. So like, if you want to, and Pat's a big thing about dominating the air for your second row. So I think, yeah, like go get that ball. If you're in the lineout, just got to try and dominate. Which you had to do with some of Tom's rows, you had to learn to go get the ball. You've got you didn't know where they were gonna go. Well, listen, Ali, thanks a million for coming on to the show and for taking the time and for talking about everything so openly. Oh no, it's fine. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's it from me, folks. Thanks a million for listening.